You're listening to Miscast Commentary. Hey everybody, welcome to Miscast Commentary. I am Joe Finley, Todd Tebow the Sailor Murray, still out sailing, still out Tebowing, uh, like literally still just like, he, he just caught on to it and he loves it. Uh, not a lot to discuss today. Uh, we got a great thing coming up in just a moment and I'm very happy to share this with you and I'm very excited to share with you what we're going to be doing next week as well. Uh, we're going to get to all that. Uh, just a little bit of housekeeping first. Uh, as you can see, my awesome room here, I got my, uh, right there, my uh, last Starfighter poster. I've got some consoles on the ground. I'm in an 80s basement. Green screen. And that means only one thing. I was on Dueling Decades. Like, literally, it is 12.33 in the morning, and I just finished shooting the episode. And it was so fun. Uh, James Duvall from Independence Day, Gone in 60 Seconds, Donnie Darko, all that good stuff. Uh, he's got a new movie coming out called Beast Mode, or it's actually out right now on demand, so you got to go check that out with C. Thomas Howell and all sorts of other stuff. He was just... He was such a cool dude to work with. It was so much fun. Uh, so that was a blast, and you're going to check that episode out on Wednesday. You'll see me there. You'll also see I'll have it posted on our website and stuff like that so you can make sure not to miss it and all that good stuff. Uh, lots of news and stuff like that. Everything's on fire right now. Everything's awful. Uh, they announced... I'm still confused by the idea of it and the decision, but they have uh, Warner Brothers and everybody announced they're going to be releasing their entire... Uh, 2021 lineup all at once in theaters and on HBO Max. So that's going to be, uh, was it Dune, um, The Matrix, uh, all sorts of other stuff like that, all going to be coming out just all at once. And I don't really know what the goal is there. I think it's going to draw some people initially into HBO Max who might not have otherwise taken advantage so far. Um, good for that but then to also put them all out at the exact same time in theaters you're now splitting the vote a million different ways it's a it's a weird one i mean i'm not a businessman i don't pretend to know anything about anything uh but i don't know it just seems weird to me i'll let that uh stay for other people i did want to talk about uh a viewer of our show and I say viewer because this was on YouTube. Uh, they commented on our uh, Star Wars Into the Spider-Verse episode. Not Star Wars. Oh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse episode. It's 12.35 a.m. now. I'm tired. Uh, and uh, they just have made a simple comment that they believe that the spider that bit Miles Morales was actually from a different version of Earth in the whole Spider-Verse because they glitched and because they were um, a, she thinks that it was from uh, 2099 I'm going to look up the comment now because I am not remembering everything properly so Meg Elizabeth on YouTube uh, said exactly this uh, here we go I'm going to read it right off of the page so I don't miss anything and now it's just not loading. Uh, anyways, she believed that the Spider-Man, or the spider that bit Miles was from 2099, and I did ask why um, 
she thought that, and now I can't get it to load the replies. But Meg Elizabeth has her theory. Uh, does anybody else have any other theories about that? I don't know a lot about the the Spider Verse and all the different Earths. I got, I know the Earth six one six. I know these other things. Um, but I'm curious if anybody else has any other thoughts. They can comment on that into the Spider Verse uh, YouTube if they'd like, or they can email us podcast at miscastcommentary.com. I would love to hear some people's thoughts because I I'd like to learn about it. I'd like to know more. So Meg Elizabeth, thanks so much. Um, somebody else just commented. Why can I, uh, can I find uh watch along where somebody hasn't watched it before? Well, I got news for you, bad boy. You're not watching binge watchers on the wall because that's one where we have somebody who hasn't watched the shit we've been watching before. Okay. When it comes to movies and stuff like that, and it's the challenge we even have with binge watchers, is that if you haven't seen it, you're paying attention too much. Like, we did Con Air last week, and I could do that with my eyes shut. I know the movie, we can talk, and we know what's going on, and we're not missing anything. But when it's like Game of Thrones, it's like, oh, hey, if you talk, you've missed everything. So it's a challenge to put that together, and if we were doing that for movies, that's a lot of dead air. I mean, we're already, there's sometimes I've, you know, in kind of a post-mortem of an episode, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm, you know, we left some gaps in there and I'm not happy with it, but it's one take and it's the length of the movie. I can't cut it out and we just have to all sit in that silence together. Right? Um, But anyways, that's all of that. I don't want to talk about that anymore. I want to talk about the movie we're doing next week. But first, I want to talk about the man who directed it because he was awesome. And we got to sit down. Well, I got to sit down with him and we chatted for quite some time. Uh, Michael Cooney, who is the director of next week's movie. You're going to find out within the discussion what that movie is. And yeah, let's just go right to him. He was a blast. Hey everybody, I am here today with screenwriter and director and playwright and many other things. Uh, You know him from writing and things like The Eye Inside, Identity, Six Souls, and the movie we are talking today, the writer and director of Jack Frost, Michael Cooney. How are you doing today? I am good, thank you. Very happy to be here and chat about Jack to begin my holiday season. It's a wonderful way to get it going. It's it's putting up the tree for me this year. I think it, it's going to really get everything going other than the blistering wind uh, coming from the outside right now, which you might hear on the microphone or might not, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk to you. So uh, I always am fascinated with uh, writers, particularly writers of horror and thriller and stuff like that. There's a uh, a certain amount of... Uh, kind of psychosis you have to put your head into to write to write it and i was thinking about especially something like identity or six souls uh it's a much more psychological thing than uh jack frost would be which is a a much more on the surface horror movie uh what is it about that do you suppose uh is excuse me uh, is like like how do you get into the heads of those characters for making a a movie like that? Well, it's it's funny. It's something that you don't think about unless you're actually asked the question. That that's the truth. It just sort of 
it does happen. And it, but I do know that it takes a moment to get into these things. And one of the biggest changes that happened for me was having kids. And before I had kids, uh, so that the, the script of identity and the script of six souls uh, that were written before kids. And I, I remember, so I, there's a bit of a story that the, on, on the set of um, Six Souls, uh, there's a flashback sequence to the murder of two children in, in a tent. And we were, I had the family up, we shot in Pittsburgh, and we were on the set. And I remember, I was so excited to show the, the kids the set. And I remember walking them through that tent with dead children and blood splattered. Oh, and I had this thought of what the hell am I doing? And that my act for a moment, I, and this, there is a purpose to going back to what you were actually asking of this. And for a moment, I stopped writing those sort of things. And I, I sold a couple of family animations and things like that. And what happened was my eldest daughter, Spencer, adores horror much more than I ever did. And now we have access to Shudder and all these fantastic streaming programs. She is, she just, but this is when she was eight years old and loved all of these spooky things. And I thought, why am I, and I had an idea for a new script. And what I, it was at that moment that I realized that I had to explain to the kids that I'm going to be writing something spooky and something might happen to daddy, that it takes me a moment to shake it off when you come home. If I'm quiet, I, if, I, if I appear to be brooding, I'm not mad, I'm not, this is just something, it takes a moment when you are, and so this, this script, and the, the, the kids listened carefully, and Spencer asked what's the story about, and it's, a, uh, it, it's about a, a, a girl who is abducted, and it's her sister is trying to find her, and trying to find, and the, 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 the girl is locked up somewhere, and it's the story of the sister trying to find her way back to her sister. And I explained this is what's going to happen. And the next day, my daughter Spencer came to me and said, Daddy, I've got a title for you. And I thought, okay, here we go. And she said, uh, in the dark. Oh, and I went, that is fantastic. Now, it is no longer called in the dark, uh, <laughs> but, but for a number of years, it's a, a Gail Ann Hurd is producing it. It's, it's currently called Obscura. Um, but it's a, it, they understood that when I was writing that, and you do, you carry that. So there I'm in the head of this sister and she is convinced she knows who has abducted. It's a throwback to the amazing kind of Joe Esterhouse 1990s thrillers, Jagged Edge, uh, Basic Instinct, that sort of very simple. There's just one, two or three characters and it's simply posed is he the abductor or is he not? Is that simple? And she is convinced that he is the abductor. No one else is. So she worms her way into his life to try and find her abducted sister. But you carry all that with you, all that angst, all that self-doubt, all of that. And it wanders around with you. And you, you think, I never thought about it. But again, before kids never entered my head. And I'd just be a grumpy writer or whatever I would be. <laughs> but then... With kids, you have to be very careful to not bring that home with you. Um, so I, I found that I found that difficult, but I found a way now. Now 
I can do now. I, I, it's because I've now written for 15 years with kids. Yeah. You get into, okay, now I have an office. I'm not there at the moment, but I have an office that I can go to and that's where I can get into that headspace. Wow. See, because, yeah, that's a thing I you hear a lot about, you know, an actor gets really deep into the part. I famously uh, Heath Ledger and the Joker. But I think about the writers. I'm like, that's only one character to get into the head of this person has to not only get into that terrifying head, but to jump in and out of a bunch of heads. And some might be very light and you've got to turn the dark off and get light. And then you got to go right back to the dark. And it's yeah, it, it's quite a an act for an artist to. Uh, to kind of pull off, and I mean, I commend you, especially for what somebody. I, what, my, what I've, and it might not work for everybody, but what I've done is something like identity mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that has the 10 different characters. And I would literally, I started with a piece of paper with, and, and I'd just write as many opposites as possible. And from that, you would attempt to create eight different, 10 different characters. But what, and then you, try and write the, the script as best you can, jumping from character to character. Uh, but then what I would do is afterwards is you do 10 rewrites just from each character's point of view. You want to tell the story so that when a character wanders in from the bathroom, that they've actually got a story coming with them. What have they been up to? What are they carrying into the scene? Because quite often you are writing from a plot point of view. That's, I think especially that first run through where you know a a, a thriller especially a thriller that has all these twists and layers you're definitely trying to work you navigate the the, the plots but then with oh, there you will write character through that but then i think afterwards to write from these different points of view is very useful awesome and uh as somebody who's directed movies who that he has written and also had movies directed by other people who has uh who like movies you've written that have been directed yeah. by other people. Uh, is there a difficulty kind of giving the script away to somebody else and kind of letting them do it as opposed to just being able to uh, work on your own text? Depends on the director. I have, so for when James Mangold directed Identity, yeah. he's astonishing. I could not do what he did. He brought <laughs> layers and levels and elevated it. And you just sit back and go, oh, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. That's really clever. <laughs> yeah, I like that. All of these, in identity, I'd, you know, without, if anyone hasn't seen identity, there's a fun twist to what is actually going on with these 10 characters. So it's difficult. To, but the director, knowing that there are so many little clues and things that he added with his production team and the design team. So, no, when you have a director that it is, patently obvious that they are elevating your work it's very easy it's frustrating when i my main thing that the problems that i've had is with pacing is that you what what jimangle understood is that identity is a popcorn thriller it's just in and it's got a lovely and he knew that from the word go and the actors knew that and the cinematography knew that and everything was on the same page and the boat was all going in the same direction it's when and I quite often find that, and you have to say this to the director, if they try and lean on the work and lean on the words and slow it down, that's where there was Six Souls. The directors did an amazing job, but the first cut of Six Souls was over three hours long. It was fantastic. It's my favorite version of it because everything is there. Uh, and there's 
some questions that come up in when people watch six hours, they go, why is she doing that? That makes me, ah, oh, well, there was this whole sequence where this happened and now, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But um, a lot of it was tempered down that you, you just couldn't fit it in. There's never been, they never got to the stage where they could do a director's cut and, and see it, but in, on, in the editor's room, it was fantastic, it, but it, it was long. It's a, you know, a three hour <laughs> movie is just too long. Yeah, and just for going back to identity for a second, if you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Go see it right now. Just grab it. Go find it. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I was. It's a fun thriller. It's, and it's, it's it's quick. It's ninety minutes. It's it's a fantastic movie, and I I was a person always who would basically empty horror shelves at video stores. Uh, I would go, uh, we used to have a deal at a place nearby us where you could get, it was five movies for five days for five bucks, all the old, uh, and it, like no new releases type thing. And you could replace them as often yeah. as you wanted. So I would have friends over for the weekend and we would go get five movies. We'd come back, we'd watch them. And 10 hours later, we'd be back at the video store with the new five movies. We'd watch those overnight. We'd return them in the morning when they opened. And we would just do that and do that and do that. And it's like, you go through everything. And uh, that's, I ended up doing that a lot with my wife. And that's how we came across Identity. And it was just like, it was one of those sit down and I knew nothing about it going in. I didn't know if it was gonna be a slasher, if it was gonna be this or that. And I was just, it was a wonderful, a wonderful surprise yeah. to come across. Um, next thing I, I want to know that that's when no, that's that, that to me identity is the best example of when I've written something of how it's been brought to life by the producers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Kathy Conrad, producer of Scream, Jim Mangold, who's just done all these fantastic, and he jumps from genre to genre. Yeah. He's he's brilliant. I don't know why he, he's gonna win everything. At, some point he's, he's just phenomenal absolutely and the other thing i wanted to talk about too is another thing you've done is you've adapted your own play into a movie you yes. uh you did that yeah. with um the eye inside uh which was adapted from point of death now yep. uh adapting another text into a movie is something that's done all the time but what is it like to actually take your own text and adapt it into a different format well, that, that one, that film, the original script um, was a very faithful, you know, almost a word for word of the play that, that we were trying to get uh, a sort of a low budget all in one location. The play just takes place in a hospital room in two different time zones. It's a wonderful, the play is very clever um, of how it, jumps back and forth in in, in the in, in between the, the time zones but the point of death was um it was rewritten it was a, at some point it was taken out of my hands and rewritten and i find it very confusing the, the last sort of 30 minutes of that film doesn't make any sense the play makes sense and they so I, i'm not entirely sure what they were doing what they were going for it was taken out of my hands and it became something a little different at the end but the actual the the, the conversion was pretty simple that i wasn't uh it was almost a word for word translation there was some flashbacks here and there but the at one point i had i, I this may have been when i was taken off the project is i had suggested it be done in one continuous take that you would follow the lead character 
because he's he's got some sort of brain damage. He doesn't know if he's brain damaged or if he's linking memories together or if he is actually wandering from time to time. Mm. And my thought was, how cool will it be is if you could set it up and obviously you know, shoot it in takes, but make it seamless um, in that sort of 1917 kind of style. Um, and at that point, I think they went, yeah, we're going to get another writer. <laughs> now, that's not something that's super uncommon in Hollywood as far as, uh, you know, different people coming on, doing different drafts and that sort of a thing. Uh, at the time, uh, just, you know, being a writer in the industry, do you just kind of shrug it off and move on to the next thing? Or do you, does, is there a little uh, period of kind of taking it personally? Or how do we deal with that? Yeah, I'd be lying if you don't take it personally. You, yes, you, you, you put your heart and soul into these things. And when someone is, your brain goes, oh, my heart and soul isn't good enough and you want someone else to think, yes, that's it, it is, there is some heartbreak involved in that. But the, what's, there's so many different you know, formats and media that, that in the plays that I've written, that the, it's, but even more, going between film and television, just where the writer fits into the hierarchy, where in television, the, the writer is the producer and you have a lot of final say in what's going on and the more successful the writers are not me in television but the successful writers have absolute final say a, a Shonda Rhimes isn't taking notes from a studio or network she, <laughs> she has established herself that no this is this is what we're doing and it's fantastic but I but even that respect trickles down to other writers in in television that they are i, I remember on the first time i, I, I had a, a pilot filmed and the director asking if it was all right to change a line and i couldn't i almost looked behind who are you talking to you're talking to me <laughs> yes sure <laughs> i couldn't and it, it is that so that that takes a bit of getting used to especially when you sort of jump between the two you have to go oh yeah, I have to do what I'm told. I'm sitting in, I'm pitching a movie now, so <laughs> you have less authority here. Oh, wonderful. Uh, the, yeah, it's, that, that's something that always gets me is I've, I've spoken to uh, a lot of people who've worked on different projects and things like that. And it's such a world of just beyond rejection, but like I do research on movies and I see a movie will go through about 10 different writers and then there'll be arbitration over credits and all these different things. And yeah. again, it's why writers yeah. and writing uh, fascinates me. So because it's such a crazy part of the film industry and what you said about TV is hundred percent, right? It's this, this kind of glued together team team with this head that kind of just makes makes it all and just gets through. And yeah, it, I totally uh, hear what you mean. Like uh, the politics between the two seems so different. Uh, but I want to get to the reason we're here. I want to get to Jack Frost. Uh, right off the bat, uh, how I discovered this is actually a way, um, something that I discussed with another director, uh, Jordan Downey, who directed Thanks Killing, uh, came on the show. And we were discussing... Uh, covers, especially back in the day when, you know, movies were on shelves waiting to be picked up, uh, yeah. you know, to be rented and whatnot. And uh, one that was brought up was indeed Jack Frost as being a very eye-catching drawing cover. And uh, how yep. do you feel about that, especially back then? How do you feel about kind of uh, the importance of a movie cover 
uh, drawing the attention when you might not have, you know, a promotion machine behind the movie to uh, let people know that it, that it exists. Yeah, there's, there's a giant story that leads into that question. There's an hour discussion. But at <laughs> that point, the only reason Jack Frost got noticed is that fantastic lenticular cover. It's 100%. I know that, that the movie was dead and buried. And um, this marketing guy who I never remember his name when I tell this story. There was a marketing guy, young guy at Unipix, um, and they picked this movie up for nothing, for peanuts, um, out of a bargain basement. And again, there's a giant story I can get into. Um, and he picked it up and went, I know how to sell this. And he came up with it. They did a couple of lenticulars at the time, but this one was super famous. If I can just jump yeah. out of the screen for a second. By means. I've got... This, this is one of the, this is the only few in the world. Oh my God. I'm oh, sorry, I'm getting reflections. But no, this, it's okay. This was a gift to me um, after the show. Oh wow. And this is a price, this is cost of, this is, I think that's worth more than I was actually paid on <laughs> Jack Frost. Um, that was, a, it, it was a gift. And that, that just hangs out in the house. Um, That's genius. I said Unipix. It was Apex at the time. Oh, okay. A Uni yeah, Apex became Unipix. It's Apex. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I'll tell you, that's precisely how I discovered it. And it was an interesting one because I remember walking down the aisle of a Blockbuster and I saw it yeah. and then I did the double take. And that was the kind of thing we were looking for. We didn't, we weren't searching around anywhere else. We went right to the horror section and we were like, I want to find something fun to watch today. And we were going, and that one caught my eye and it actually like, like a magnet pulled me back. And I, and it was like, okay. And I just picked this one up. I'm like, I'm not asking for votes today. This one's getting rented. And it's such a fun movie. I, I read that you came up with the idea for this movie in like 1989. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, it's time. I don't know where it's all disappearing now. But yeah, this is, I had, uh, um, yeah, it must have been about 1989, 1990, around there. Yeah, I'm about 24 years old. The um, So I had a house, I had a cabin up in Big Bear. And I had my great mates, uh, Jeremy Page and Vicky Slotnick, who are the producers. And Jeremy and I came up with the idea together. Um, We'd go up and stay at the cabin and just a you know, weekend shoot the breeze. And we built a snowman in the backyard, not trying to make it anything, but it just happened that our crappy snowman making looked kind of spooky. And it sat out there. They're a couple. They're married now, uh, uh, Vicky and Jeremy. And the snowman sat outside their window. And Vicky, the next morning, goes, I couldn't sleep because that stupid thing staring in the window. And we joked about it. And as we kept on joking, we went, you know, could you make a horror movie about a snowman? And all those discussions go on, what would it be? And so I wrote it. I, I wrote this, uh, you know, uh, the first script. And the first versions of this script, I'm going to go, these stories have been told before. This is like... I, I'm like the grandpa now telling these <laughs> old stories again and again. Is there anything that you're currently working on at the moment? Uh, any scripts? Any? Yeah, the, the um, I'm actually writing another play. Um, <laughs> another, they, uh, 
a of all the things I've written, weirdly, the most successful thing is a British stage farce um, called Cash on Delivery mm -hmm. uh, that I'm very fortunate that it, it has played all over the world. And people have wanted a, a sequel to that for decades now, right. embarrassingly. Um, <laughs> and uh, because of the state of the world at the moment, where everyone's staying inside, hopefully being safe, uh, I can dedicate a moment to doing that. So I'm, I'm writing a, um, everything's sort of st everything's stalled. There's, there's deals and bits and pieces and television, um, but there is a it's it's quiet for a moment, uh -huh. uh, which is so. I go back to my roots. I started. I never got paid for anything I wrote, so I'm perfectly happy to write things without getting paid if I love it and want to do it, and which is what this play is. So I'm I'm writing a play at the moment. I have a uh, a really cool film. What I was mentioning before that was called In the Dark. Yeah. It's now Obscura with Gail Ann Hurd. That's in a holding pattern because nobody really wants to go into production at the moment. Yeah. Um, fingers crossed next year that will get back up and running again. Uh, and that should be a good one. That, that should be a really good, as I said, throwback to the 1990s kind of thrillers. That's great. I'll be looking forward to that one because that's a... Uh, again, I love Gail Ann Hurd. I love everything about it. I'll, I'll definitely go out and support that one. Um, can you tell our listeners, our viewers, and what have you, uh, how to find you online and all those good things? Uh, how to find me online? I'm really boring online. I've got nothing online. <laughs> I'm, okay. I think I'm on, I don't do, on Twitter. Uh, that, that's, that's all I got. No, I, I'm, I'm, on, I'm not on anything. I'm, I'm terrible at self-promoting. Okay. Um, so I'm vaguely on Twitter. And all I really do on Twitter is I will once every few weeks, especially now, this is the time, it's lovely, it gets you in the holiday spirit, <laughs> is I will search for Jack Frost mm -hmm. and J Jack Frost horror. And you, this is when people start watching it. And my favorite thing to do mm -hmm. is to jump into their very private conversations and that there's people talking about the movie, not knowing that I'm listening for better or for worse. And I will very happily jump in and some people go, what the hell are you doing, you weirdo, getting in our conversations? And some people will go, oh, my God, writer Jack Frost just commented on something I said, um, which is lovely, which just warms my heart that this silly movie exists. That's why I said there's someone like this morning on Twitter from a couple of days ago, they made a cheese ball of Jack Frost. And... Uh, and I had to jump in and go, this is amazing. This silly thing that we made 20 years ago, you, I think they're watching the movie. They made a cheese ball and put a carrot in and did the whole thing. Oh, that's brilliant. It's genius. That's fantastic. That's great. And I mean, like you said, it's got to feel good uh, when any project kind of like this far removed. I, you know, we're over 20 years removed. And, and just, yeah. uh, and, and that's the thing. And that's, proof that it's not like because i mean there's ironic love for these movies uh a lot of times a lot of people are like oh i'm gonna watch this blah 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 but to have people put an effort in that's when the iron it stops being irony. I know, it starts I being am, very I, honest i am so i am so touched to see that cheese ball <laughs> i i'm not it's gonna be fun it's not that meant something to oh mm. my god someone 
you know, the effort that took to make it, that is so touching that someone would do that. And I think what you're, what the, the ironic love for things, I think one of the things about 20 years mm-hmm. is you've weeded out the people who hate this, who can't, what are you talking about, it's stupid. You, yeah. you, you must only be left with the, you know, unless it gets passed down to a next generation of people of discovering it. But you've mm-hmm. weeded out people. And now there's, what you're left with, hopefully, is people who adore the silliness of it. And that's really, again, just been my experience with this. And I do want to thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about it. I am very legitimately a fan of yours uh, and this movie and your other projects. And it has been a real treat. Thank you, man. Thank you. It's been great fun. Uh, thank- I love talking about Jack. <laughs> that's great. Thank you so much. And there you have it. The guys, the guy was awesome. Michael Cooney, thank you so much again for doing this show. Uh, He is just floating around Twitter right now. I just saw him today on there, just randomly commenting on people's comments on Jack Frost, and it's so funny to me, and he is very appreciative that people like his work and have uh, fun with it. But if you haven't seen, for real, if you haven't seen uh, Six Souls or you haven't seen Identity or something like that, go see them. They're good movies. They're well written and it's nice to be able to say that to someone's face and actually mean it you know instead of like oh yeah man all your project it's great it's fantastic no i liked this stuff before i ever knew what his name was and then i liked it before i knew that the man i was about to interview even did those things i was just kind of like oh we're gonna check it oh my god he wrote that that's awesome i love those movies so Anyways, I can't thank him enough. You're going to hear more from him next week as we do Jack Frost. I was, I was so excited. I'll tell you, we've recorded the episode already, and oh my god, we had so much fun. Uh, it is a great listen. I highly, highly, highly recommend you listen to the episode, and I highly, highly recommend, if you have not seen the movie, to see the goddamn movie. Watch it with us. It's fun. Watch it before us, then with us. Watch it before us, and then not with us. I don't care. Go watch the movie. Prioritize that. We'll be here. I'll wait. No, I'm kidding. I can't do that. Too much dead air. We already talked about that. So uh, let's listen to the trailer for Jack Frost. One cold night, science and evil collide. serial killer is on the loose. We hadn't even tested the acid on an amoeba, let alone a human cell. This is a disaster. Look, I just saw something that doesn't belong in this world, and it's out there killing my friends. Now tell me what it is. Jack Frost. I think Jack's about to make an entrance. And he's giving cold-blooded a whole new meaning. Hell has just frozen over. Blow me.
It is exactly that fun. One cold Uh-oh. night. Hey. Nobody caught that. Uh, oh, man. It is such a fun movie. Do not miss next week's episode, and you're going to hear so much, so many good stories from Michael Cooney. If you've watched the trailer, you're also going to notice somebody bef- well before they were famous in this. Shannon Elizabeth plays the daughter in this movie. It's her first movie, and it is uh, a hell of a kill. And you get the whole... He lays the whole thing out for you. It is a blast. So make sure to catch Jack Frost next week with us. Uh, You will not regret it, I promise. Now, what else do we have for you? What else could you possibly want? Nothing. That's what. We are going to be done for this week. Again, we kept it simple. Uh, We make sure... Try that again. Make sure to uh, contact us at podcast at miscastcommentary.com. Visit miscastcommentary.com, period, for all the news. Uh, You'll also see our complete interviews there and all that sort of thing. Uh, Michael Cooney's uh, you will get uh, next week. So while the episode drops on Friday, I'll probably drop the uh, interview online on Saturday. So you can watch the whole thing there. And... As always, Twitter, at Miscast Podcast. Go to join our Facebook page. Uh, like us on there. Like, uh, we're on Tumblr. We're on everything. So go find us. Uh, Miscast Commentary on Instagram. Uh, we'll make a MySpace page. We'll be Tom's friend, at least. Uh, but for now, what else to say? But see you next week with Jack Frost. Bye-bye. This has been Miscast Commentary with your hosts, Joe Finley and Todd Murray. Executive producer, Joe Finley. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Visit www.miscastcommentary.com for all news related to the podcast. Miscast Commentary is a Miscast Media Production.